Welcome to Uppity Women. Today we're talking to Meredith Lowry. She's an attorney for Wright Lindsay Jennings at their office in Rogers. And she has started an effort called Woman Run. Meredith is a patent attorney. You'll hear more about this in the interview, but basically she she noticed a, a dearth of support for women inventors and women business owners. So with the help of the law firm, she started Woman Run, and it's described as a group that supports women business owners and inventors. Uh, we had a really a good conversation and um, a little we've heard before from our talk with Kim Lane from The Conductor, but I am very excited about the women and people in general um, working on empowering women, business owners and inventors and entrepreneurs in Arkansas. So uh, we need to we need to provide even more support going forward because they're just woefully underrepresented in the uh, in the groups who get money from venture capitalists. You will also hear in this talk why it's important to find an attorney who knows what they're doing. It is important that they do the work, the kind of law that you were asking about. So for example, you'll hear that I don't know anything about patent law or really copyright or trademark, um, even though I'm an attorney, because we don't know all the law. So it's important to find lawyers who actually know what they're talking about. And I am happy to uh, make referrals instead of trying to pretend like I know what I'm doing if I really don't. So Anyway, uh, had a great conversation with Meredith, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll be posting information in the links so you can get access to their efforts, events, uh, other articles about Woman Run, and uh, please support them and join them. And you don't have to be an inventor. You can be anyone who wants to open a business or who does have a business and maybe wants to expand. So anyway, enjoy. So I'm here with Meredith Lowry at Wright Lindsay Jennings in a tall building. She's one of those tall building <laughs> lawyers uh, that I'm, I will probably never be because I insist on being poor and um, not figuring out how to manage my life. But anyway, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm great. So I'm excited to talk about Woman Run. Um, and But before we get into that, if you will just sort of give me your background, who you are, where you're from, how you got here. Great. I am from Fayetteville, Arkansas, born and raised, and not really ever leaving. I've been a patent attorney for the last, I guess, 14 years now, and practiced in Fayetteville or Rogers for a few firms, and I've been at Wright, Lindsay, and Jennings for four years doing the patent thing, but also representing a lot of women entrepreneurs. Um, For me, there are... I mean, for anybody, there aren't many women patent attorneys in the state. Mm -hmm. And there for a while, I was the only one practicing patent law up in Northwest Arkansas. So I think I got almost every female inventor that happened to exist in Northwest Arkansas. And then with my being with Wright, Lindsay and Jennings now in Little Rock too, I still see a good share of women wanting to start a business or expand their business. And so that's my major practice area. So to, uh, just briefly, what is the difference? You have to take us an extra bar exam. Sort of. We call it a bar, but it really, it's it, for me, it's so different than the actual bar. For the, the non-attorneys, um, the bar exam for every state is about two and a half days. And for the patent bar, it's 100 questions. And however fast you can finish those 100 questions, then you're done. So to me, it's it's like this 
baby bar, but it it's is still an additional requirement. It is additional like so requirement. I can't I don't have a, a patent license, so I can't practice patent law. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. So um, so it's important to have, so that is an extra little hurdle. Do you know how many patent attorney women patent attorneys there are in Arkansas? I would say less than ten. Oh. And they're they're not all practicing. Right. So there are some that have moved into the corporate world doing other things, then there are some that are just, that's not what they continue to do. Right, and that's that's out of at least five or 6,000 active, like practicing attorneys. Yes. I think there are about 10 or 11,000 licensed attorneys, but some are retired, some are not practicing, so that's not a, a, a really good number, but that's that's incredible. Yeah, I think I have the distinction of being the longest practicing in private practice. There aren't many women in tech total, and so I think that has something to do with it. Women also tend to move out of private practice, and so that's another issue. So I I don't know. I haven't really asked some of the other women that moved out of private practice into the commercial world why. Well, why do you think women move out of private practice? It's not always the easiest thing to be out when you're doing the billable hour. I mean, it's it's strenuous, and then there tends to be a lot of things. Women tend to have a lot more home responsibilities, mm-hmm. whether it's taking care of laundry or taking care of kids. I mean, there's just more on women, and so that billable hour starts becoming a lot more of a drain. Mm-hmm. And then also just getting business in the door. I think that's also been more of a problem for female attorneys than it is for male attorneys. They're just, they don't have that network mm-hmm. already in place, or they don't know how to go about getting that network. Right, and there, if you're in a, a a bigger firm, you know they may not be invited to those events where they could develop the network, the, the lunches or the golf outings or. I would say the bigger firms are better at doing it. Are they? I think the smaller firms are horrible at doing it. I know I at one point was discouraged when I was in a smaller firm, for doing extra things because why? Why would you do that? Why sh- shouldn't you be billing? But. There, there's that catch-22 there mm-hmm. of if you're billing, then you're not bringing in business. And mm-hmm. so right. you bill when you can't be bringing in business. That's a good point. There's a lot that lawyers do you can't bill for, right? Yes. So my husband's a lawyer, and we would talk endlessly about cases, but it wasn't they weren't conversations we could bill for. We were just kind of working through issues. And... Or the, you know, when you're sitting up at night trying to, you know, thinking about a jury trial the next day or trying to figure out how to solve problems for your clients, you know, you can't make money doing that. But in my mind, I'm always on. Even though I'm not really practicing law right now, I'm always thinking about how to solve problems that, that come across my my eyeballs, which are too many. Yeah. I think I think way more about cases when I'm brushing my teeth, mm-hmm. at least when you're in the car, you've got something else to distract you. Mm-hmm. But brushing your, the, the routine task, Yeah, you, you end up thinking about clients and contracts mm-hmm. and patents. Yeah, yeah. Well, you do. I, I, think I about, do. Yes, but I think about all kinds of other stuff. So, <laughs> so moving into women run or woman run, 
how how did that well tell me what it is and why you started it so it's an initiative started by Rightland St. Jennings to provide a resource for women entrepreneurs and inventors to meet collaborate provide education and a networking outlet mainly for those that group um, like I said I've represented women for a long time and through that process there's certain things every time someone comes in like okay you need to talk to Mary Beth Brooks at the small business resources research center um, you need to talk to Eileen Jennings at Arvest here are these people but when we direct people that you never know if they're gonna go talk to them mm-hmm. and even if they do sometimes it's a, it's a hardship on people that already have a limited amount of time to go so the goal was to provide people with those resources at the same time that they're already going to be meeting and talking and potentially getting education out of it. So, so um, let me use, I'll use me as an example. Okay. So when I started Law to Go, I had a fairly clear vision about what I wanted to do. And it was basically legal zoom in person. Like I wanted to have locations and help keep people at a low cost, provide services to people who represent themselves and make sure they were getting good quality services um, at affordable prices. Well, I actually joined the Venture Center because I know me and I get distracted and I have so much going on all the time and I really needed to focus and I needed to start and start making money. Um, And I ended up, so I got a mentor and I ended up getting a small business loan for $100,000 for a product I hadn't totally thought through. And I wish instead, and I basically what I did was build a traditional practice for something completely different. And so I blew through that money, you know, I'd hired staff, I had overhead, all of those things, and I had people coming in the door, but at the prices, at my prices, I could, I'd never scaled it to where I needed to be to actually make some money. Well, now I'm going in a completely different direction that is more technology focused, and um, but I'm still having to pay that loan back, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm not sure if I if I so using that example, if I had come to you or someone within the woman run network, how would you? And you don't have to tell me like every detail of what you would say, but like how generally would you advise someone like me who has this idea and is ready to hit the ground running? So normally we start with our partners. And so Mary Beth at the Small Business Center, well, they do market research and it's free. And so that's usually where I start people. Like go talk, develop your business plan, kind of troubleshoot it with somebody that's not related to you or in love with you in some manner. Because when we, with women generally, that's who we broach topics with. Most women too, seems like I've heard this so many times. When they come in to talk to me, the first thing out of their mouth is, you're gonna think I'm crazy, mm-hmm. but because there's that, that they haven't told people, they haven't had that reassurance of, yes, this will be good. Which, for my purposes, it's good that they haven't told people because I also wanna make sure it's patentable and if they've t- disclosed it, that's a problem. But 
when they can talk to somebody that doesn't inherently love them, then they can actually get real feedback. So that's what our partners give you. I mean, the attorneys that are here and part of the group too will also do the same thing. But it's nice to also have that non-billable hour Mm -hmm. aspect for kind of going through the process. Funding is a huge issue for Mm -hmm. women. There are a lot of programs that are out there. There's one through the state for women-owned businesses. The federal government has grants that can be given. There's loans that can be earmarked that are different than traditional funding, but we're not told those. So this is another option of like talking about funding and trying to make sure that there's that network with our talk that's going to be this week. Sarah Catherine, she was like, I'm doing this discussion and someone's like, well, what about this loan that you could have gotten? And that network that she's in, then that she learned about it because of that. We just don't have those networks inherently already. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and you partner with or an affiliate is the conductor in Conway. Yes. And we interviewed Kim Lane, and she said that some crazy low number um, of the startup money or venture capital money goes to women. And 2%. Yes. And to, to women of color, it's like 0.06 or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, super low, right? Super low. Yeah, but women of color are starting businesses at an exponentially high rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to say it's like a hundred a day across the country. Yeah. So, so, and you're not talking about just technology, um, technological employ. Um, I'm sorry, jobs, uh, right. businesses. It could be anything from a bakery to a new app or whatever, yeah. right? We have a baker that's gonna that comes is involved down up in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, we have people that have hair salons. We have lots of different entrepreneurs. Anyone that is a woman that is running a business is welcome to come. And why why have a w- woman run group? Why not just work within the existing uh, incubators or, or whatever they are um, to get them to provide more access to women? My experience, there are times that you have that one person, that one male that kind of sucks up all the air in the room. And there are times that we need to have conversations where you don't want to feel like someone's saying, well, didn't you already know that? And I, I've been there. That really drives down the confidence of the business owner or anybody that's being treated like, you should know that. And I, I think there's no stupid questions. And so I want an opportunity to kind of remove those blowhards. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that women can't do that. Just statistically, it's less likely. Mm-hmm. I think women are a little bit more um, agreeable to each other. And there's a lot of research to be said or showing that women groups that make the women that are in them more successful. Because we're less competitive and more supportive of each other. Well, not less competitive. 
because there's a lot of desire to provide connections Mm -hmm. that women want to help each other in some ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the myth of that mean girl is starting to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still, they exist. They still exist. Mm -hmm. But I do think that a network of women, it just based on the evidence that's coming out of like Harvard business and Kaufman, it's beneficial. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to, this is going to be a gross generalization and I probably shouldn't say it, but my perception is is that the startup world is really young white male centric yes and there is just this kind of broy atmosphere um and i've had friends who have gone through programs where that's how they felt they felt like they were marginalized and weren't taken seriously and that it was all about the latest technological idea and um you know, everyone wants the cool, you know, the next Uber or the next Airbnb or whatever it is. And 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 I feel like it, we often lose sight of the kind of traditional businesses that we still need, right? We still, I, st- I still need a bakery. Yeah, <laughs> you know? We still need a bakery. We still need lots of different things. I mean, someone's gonna have to cut my hair because I am horrible at it. <laughs> When it comes to the startup culture, there is a lot to be said for taking money and not really caring about the consequences of taking that money. And that was another concern of mine. I've had friends that have taken money and later lost their business. I've had friends that have taken money and just ended up walking off with everybody else's money. And so they're not friends anymore. But um, when it that happens, I think there needs to be a discussion, too, about the consequences of funding mm-hmm. and education based on what's actually making sense. We just did a talk up in Northwest Arkansas about company junk brands they didn't take money and now that she's transitioned out and sold the company she has a lot more ability to wait and see what's right for her next Mm -hmm. and i know she's going to do something phenomenal Um, she's a client too so i also know what she's thinking Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i'm really excited about it but when it comes to things just funding, being more mindful of that. And that's one of the hardships for women as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. I mean, the big three things for women, that are the challenges that Kaufman's identified, the lack of a network, the lack or this financing gap, not only a lack of knowledge of it, the, the financing itself has problems. But the other big thing is looking at some failures, and I, I wish I could do air quotes and be seen mm-hmm. with it, but um, failures aren't really failures Agreed. all the time. Yeah. They are a different way of learning. And women don't always realize that. You know, Stereotypically, women are risk adverse. 
that can be a great thing when it comes to a return on investment for the people that actually do put money in. Mm -hmm. Um, Women do return about 78 cents per dollar that's been invested versus their male counterparts is like 32 cents. But those failures also teach us so much. But because so few women have been historically in business, women don't see other women failing Mm -hmm. or we hide it in Mm -hmm. some way. So it's a good thing to talk about that story because you learn from it. Mm -hmm. I, I, listen, my best lessons are from, are from hard failures. And I actually, I mean, I'm broke. So that's the biggest issue right now is that I I don't have any source of income. And so it's, it's hard for me, you know, I've got to live, but setting that aside, I'm so glad it all happened because it has really helped me understand what I need to do, what I don't need to do. And then it's helped me to really focus my idea a lot more so that I don't waste more time and money. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. It is, it's great learning experience. I'm glad I went through it. Um, uh, and, and move, I'm moving on and we'll yep. be, and I know that my, the way, the direction I'm headed is going to be great. So it's just, yeah, I didn't have to go through that. So um, why do you think it is that women are returning more um, on investments than men? Does anyone know? Some of it's to be said for the lack of, like, trying to be risk adverse. Um, women also tend to uh, put more money back in to the company. That tends to mean that the investment is later on, and so, the investors that are participating in women-owned businesses tend to have to know that that's the trend. Um, But I think a lot of it's just that women work hard. Mm -hmm. Almost all the women owners that I know are just busting every day. They're just continually working. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing and I respect the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. And they're probably taking care of kids and families and households and all and of those parents things. Parents, parents, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of things on their plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um, every time I think about going to get a job, I remind myself of how much I like not having to work for someone else, and I like being responsible for my own success or failure. So I would think also for women. Um, it would be, even though it is a a lot of work and it is risky, being able to um, manage your own time, you know, and not have, if you do have all of these other things going on, you know, if you've got to take your mom to the doctor or the kid or whatever, you, if you're the boss, you have a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Um, So I would think that that would be appealing to women as well. Yeah. Of course, that all depends on the situation, but you know, it's there, you don't have to feel guilty by telling your boss you have to leave again because you are the boss, and you know the you know the ramifications of of your absence if if there are any. So, are there any I don't know like top three things you tell women to avoid or to think about or I don't know any tips and tricks? Tell them to find a mentor. Mm-hmm. I do think that that's a beneficial thing, and someone that isn't again in love with you it makes it easier to troubleshoot various things if if your only person is a spouse 
or a sibling or a parent that you're troubleshooting one thing with, it's easy for them to say, you know, that's really hard. Why don't you stop? And so you need someone that's going to be your cheerleader, but also say, you know, that's not working. You need to pivot. Don't stop. Just keep, let maybe transition a little bit. I also think that it's important for you to be wary of other people. You're right. Women in general tend to be a little bit more trusting. I, I'm not sure why. Uh, it's a great benefit in some ways, but then also you need to be have a little more sense of, okay, this is maybe what this person wants out of you is a little bit more than what you think that they want out of you. Mm-hmm. And developing a network, getting out there, uh, it's important because sometimes people are going to find opportunities for you that you never thought were potential. So when you say a network, what do you mean? What kind of network? A professional network, friends? Both. Because mm-hmm. friends are going to advocate for you and push you to do things out there and give you confidence that you may need, or even if you're the most confident person, it's always good to have someone that you know is in your corner. But a professional network as well. And so it can be a group of women. It can be outside. I mean, the studies show that women actually function better with both types of networks, whereas guys usually just have the professional one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as far as uh, what, so if you do find a mentor or a few, what are you seeking from them? Just a shoulder to cry on? Someone to bounce ideas off of? Yes. Someone that when you say, hey, I'm thinking of taking on an employee, they can say, "Mm, maybe you wait. Maybe you consider this action instead. Mm -hmm. Someone that's been there before. It doesn't have to be someone that is doing the exact same thing. If you're a baker, it doesn't mean that your mentor can't be someone that's been running a successful hair salon Mm -hmm. or some other business. A lot of things translate. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the different kinds of funding people can look for. So, like angel versus friends and family. Uh, yeah, uh, friends and family. Those that investment tends to be a little. There's less strings attached to it, but on the other side of things too, you still have to see them at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So. There are problems with that. There's problems with all the funding. There's benefits to all the funding. Uh, With other things like small business loans, um, those don't tend to be as prevalent as they used to be. Um, I know at one point the SBA, was it was easier to get money than it is now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that will change since we're that much further from the recession, but it was pre-recession when it was easier. The SBIR grants from the, or loans out of the federal government are an option. And then there's a program through, there's a women and minority business section for the state of Arkansas. And through which department do you know? I think it's the AEDC. Okay. It's been a while since I looked at it. Okay. But I know it exists. Mm-hmm. 
and they certainly they even have a, a catalog of, of sorts a directory of women-owned businesses there are very few people signed up on that hmm. i'm sure that i'm not i most people that are, come to woman run events aren't well, so i think it's again one of those things that's just not discussed right and i, I wonder uh well i don't know that i would go to i i do try to go to women-owned or minority-owned businesses when I can. It'd be great if there were a one-stop resource to, to figure out where those were. I'll go check out their website and see. And I'll uh, link to it in the show notes, too. On the other side of things, too, women-owned businesses tend to be sold to differently than male-owned businesses. Um, I think it's because we're starting to be the majority, well, women in general are starting to be the majority, and the purchasing power is starting to be recognized. So in my research, there are times I come across great stats, but they're from horrible sources. Tell me what you're talking about. Like um, sources that are mostly focused on selling insurance to women, like life insurance or other options for home financing, things like that. They the financial world is very interested in women and trying to figure out ways in. Mm-hmm. We we spend a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> and women-owned businesses need money. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's one way that they're thinking of capitalizing on it. But on the other side of things, too, those sources of funding aren't the best in the world. I mean, they could be actually predatory and damaging. Mm-hmm. So how would you... Um so if, if someone were uh, with women, woman run, could could someone come to you or, or someone and say, hey, I've got this opportunity, what are your thoughts? And then someone would say, mm, that's predatory or that isn't yes. the right fit for you. So you all would offer that kind of advice. Yes, we have Sarah Catherine Gutierrez with Aptus talking tomorrow night uh, about funding more from the sense of personal savings and then also somewhat of the other options for funding. We're not going to talk about venture capital as much, um, but we will be doing that up in Northwest Arkansas on the 27th. We're talking to Stephanie Funk. She had Acorn and took venture capital funding and then she transitioned out. So we're going to talk about how that worked out and um, what she learned from it. But we, we're focusing a lot on funding right now because the group has asked a lot about funding. Mm-hmm. And, and at what point, is there a point at which you can say, okay, now you're ready to look for money? I think it it's dependent on each different group. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's reasons for funding. Now, Stephanie will say she needed the funding because she needed to grow in the way that she grew. Um, Sometimes that's uh, when you're scaling, you need more money. So not everyone scales like that. Mm -hmm. If people wanted to get involved, what does that mean? First of all, how do they do it? And second, what does that mean to get involved? We have a website, uh, woman-run.com, and we're on, I think, every form of social media, not on LinkedIn, though I am, um, Woman Run World, or just Woman Run on Facebook, and 
there's we advertise about the events we talk about various research that's come out various times and being involved would be coming to events um, there's opportunity to be affiliated in some ways um, the venture center is an affiliate the conductor uh, we try and partner with the chambers mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and is it primarily um your efforts at the moment are focused in central and northwest Arkansas? Yes, we're considering Jonesboro for next year, though. That is a hike for me. Yes, it is. Uh, going back for just a minute to patents, you mentioned that people shouldn't talk about their ideas because then it's published, right? Well, it's out, it's, yeah, it's, it's out public. There. So that is really good information to know. Um, tell me what that, because I tell everyone about my ideas, because uh, I have so many of them. I'm like, <laughs> I want to do this and that. And what is the danger in that? The risk is that someone will take it and essentially run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Your disclosure would potentially bar, but for the most part, the patent office isn't going to know about your disclosure. Mm -hmm. And then if they're going to come along and tinker with it and add to it, because everyone does, Mm -hmm. most people think that they always can improve something once that improvement is out there even if they aren't taking credit for what you did that improvement then could bar you so there's those risks uh, the major thing with disclosure is once you disclose you have a year to move forward with a patent if you're going to move forward with it and once you have got, so so we see a lot patent pending. So mm-hmm. that means the process has started. And does, it, does that provide protection? No. The process has started in theory. Most people will abide by the rule that you cannot say patent pending unless you're actually patent pending. I know some people don't, but which is ill-advised to do say it without actually filing. But... It takes a long time for a patent to go through. Some things can go through pretty quickly, two years. But that, and for me, is quick. For almost every inventor, they're like, oh, that takes so long. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that are computer tech or financial related, we're, that's more like a five-year time frame. And so you're just sort of out there. Hanging out. So what happens in the meantime? Let's say, um, I'm just going to use something that exists already. So the Airbnb app, right? So I've got this idea. I start it. We're, we're starting in New York with people couch surfing, basically. And then I start the patent process. Um, and it, let's say it take fi- takes five years. Does that mean what you're saying, until you get the actual patent at the end of that five years, anyone can take your idea and run with it? There are some ways we can try and speed up the process, but they're costly. Mm-hmm. And then also we can do a few things to just put you on note that the potential infringer on notice that they're infringing and try and still speed up the process. But yeah, there's a very real risk that you may not get the patent or someone could infringe you in the meantime. And that happens more times than people would like. Mm-hmm. God, I would imagine in, in technology it's crazy because it's so it's it's changing 
so quickly or people things are being created so quickly well and things like with airbnb and other highly tech apps the terminology is so evolving Mm -hmm. and this office is so backlogged and getting patents through we run the risk that multiple patents are going through at the same thing. The patent office tries to stop that from happening, but I've seen certain cases that have come through where, where it's just, they're too close. They're mm-hmm. almost butting up against each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I need to make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, what is, who needs to patent? What things need to be pat- patented? Things that you are gonna have issue with somebody else using. Some things are flash in the plant pan, um, pet rocks, not patentable at all. Were highly successful for that short period of time, but things after that, I mean, there was nothing to move forward with on that one. But things that last longer that you would want to need or need to stop someone those are important to consider most of my products tend to be products I mean, things that are out on the sh- shelves I mean, mm-hmm. live in walmart world mm-hmm. so there's so many people pitching things related to either that will be on the shelf or making things go off the shelf faster mm-hmm. um so when I look at it, I look at it a lot more like what infringement is going to occur here and how am I going to stop that infringement as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So if I have an idea for a better broom, I come to you mm-hmm. and it really is an, a good idea for a better broom, um, then you try to work as quickly as possible as possible, so that we can produce it, get it on the shelves, but also protect that idea from other people stealing it. Correct. Right. Um, and is there, uh, and, and this is, I know it's a terrible question and there may not be a good answer, but is there a kind of a ballpark cost that people should expect to save for or prepare for? I mean, are we talking $10,000, $5,000? I'm sure it depends. It really does depend. Yeah. I mean, it could be... $1,000 to $10,000, it could be 20000 It just really depends on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If it's sequencing some plant genome, yeah, it's going to be way more expensive. Mm-hmm. But the other way of looking at it is what you spend on the patent is really probably going to be the least expensive thing that you do with a product. Mm-hmm. Because all of the marketing, all of the development, all of that is going to cost so much more and more time. And so what you're essentially doing is trying to protect that investment. Right. Are U.S. patents, can international people outside of the country violate our patents? I mean, they're not subject to our laws necessarily, right? If they're operating outside the United States. They're operating solely outside the U.S., no. They can't violate one of our patents. It's rare that that occurs anymore. Really? Things end up on social media. Uh, There's a lot of products that I see, especially on Instagram. Oh, my gosh. Just advertisements on Instagram. They're not couched as ads, but they're ads. And they're products that are here. 
and they're just exiting through a different door of the factory and then being advertised. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still ways that they crop up. And if you could explain the difference between patent and copyright, I think most people don't know the difference. So there's and there's different types of patents too. Um, there's the a patent protects the utilitarian aspect of an item. So when you have a lamp, there are definitely ways that it, it is utilitarian in nature. But there's also the ornamental aspects. Design patents protect ornamentation of functional items. Um, there's a lot with design patents. I spend a lot of time with designs because of retail products. But copyrights protect the artistic expression of an item or an art, work, books, things like that. Expression, it's the expression itself that is then infringed. So if you see painting, there's a painting in this room, and you think, okay, that's great, I'm going to copy it right now, that you're taking that expression and copying that. Mm -hmm. But if you've never seen that painting, and you just happen to, like, in the middle of the night, wake up and go, that's a great idea for a painting, and started painting it, that's not infringement, Mm -hmm. because you never saw it. Mm -hmm. So how could you copy the expression? So even though the painting behind me is out there and published, it has to be seen by the person who might infringe. Yeah. Interesting. I bet there are a bunch of liars out there, too. It's really hard with copyright infringement to show that access and then that there was a copy made. Hmm. So the patents on the other side of things, it's... there's. You don't have to have that. You didn't even need to know it was patented to infringe. Right, right. So someone else comes up with the same idea for a better broom. They're in New York. I'm in Arkansas. There is no violation there. Unless I already have a patent, then they can't get their own patent. Well, if you have a patent, then they're infringing. They are infringing if I'm yeah. patenting. Right, or if yes. I'm patented. Patented, yes. yes. Um, and so I have a copyright on my logo and my... Nate Law to Go and then the Arrow logo. You have a trademark too, right? A trademark. That's yeah. what I meant. That's okay. what I meant. Yeah. And uh, so, um, and Mandy Denton, um, so she did my trademark. And that was that was quite a process. It um, is. Yeah. It takes about a year. Yeah. Trademarks protect the source identifying aspect of something. Mm-hmm. It does not always have to be words, it can be color. It can be sound, like the NBC chimes. Mm-hmm. It can be um, smell. The, someone has trademarked the smell of embroidery floss that smells like like plumeria, which to me sounds disgusting because I craft and I would never want embroidery floss to actually smell. But yeah. um, it's an interesting one. Uh, then it can be... A lot of the, a lot of the fashion companies focus on um, the way things look. Mm-hmm. So Lululemon is one that I study because I do a lot with fashion too. And 
it's the way that like the insignia has been moved into the stitching of the pants and it's fascinating with trademarks so that is my passion hmm. so you do patents and trademarks patents trademarks copyrights copyright hmm, okay almost everything relates to retail though right so there's probably a lot that women don't think about when they're starting a business no all of uh, these things that are super important yeah and if they don't protect themselves it's fair game it, there's a potential there mm-hmm. and that is one of the other problems with mm-hmm. women entrepreneurs because everything else comes first right and I get that but I'm trying to be mindful of other things I mean you can wait on a trademark mm-hmm. you can sort of wait on a copyright it hurts you sometimes but you can't wait on patents mm-hmm. yeah and that's so hard to wrap my brain around because even though I know that it you don't know if something is going to work and so it's hard to think about making an investment which it is because I think most people are starting with not much money we're bootstrapping everything um, it's hard to think about spending that money when you know you've got to do all of these other things just to get the product or the business going so but you could lose everything I suppose that's the way to it's a risk you don't want to take yeah it is mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a competitor that can come in and outspend you on marketing but do exactly what you've been doing that could have been proprietary that's a problem mm-hmm. so marketing is a whole issue that I struggle with all the time because I might have a great idea or I might have a super cute candy store but if no one knows about it it doesn't matter but I don't I don't under I don't know how digital marketing works anymore and I'm not convinced that anyone else does either oh and it's changing so much yeah uh, and that was another aspect of woman run was bringing in people that know their stuff mm-hmm. and can say yeah maybe you should consider this one or I do digital marketing, but what your business really needs is this person. So having those opportunities to connect and think, okay, maybe I do need to actually have somebody that does this for a living mm-hmm. look at it. And again, it's ex- an expense, and a lot of times that that's something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of things, too, nobody else can run your business mm-hmm. for you. Right. You can't outsource some things. Right. Oh, God, I wish I could outsource everything in my life. Uh, well, except for the, the having fun part. I would like to do that. But I'm too busy to have any fun. So, yeah, no, it's um, it takes so much time, especially because of how rapidly the marketing is changing. And I, I do feel like you have to spend so much tr- time trying to figure that out. You're not focused as much on making the business better. So that's a struggle. So let's say I go to an event and I want to join this network of Woman Run. Uh, do I do I just like sign up somewhere, make an appointment? Hey, I really need to talk to someone about marketing. I mean, is that how it works? You can RSVP for an event, and if you tell someone that I mean, there's going to be Women Run ambassadors with name tags on them everyone gets a name tag but then there's the ones that have like the printed name tags or those can be people that know who's in the room and if you say i need to talk to someone about marketing 
they're going to be able to push you towards, okay, here's someone, so-and-so that's here, or you need to talk to this person. Okay. So. And where's the event tomorrow? Oh, you said it's, it's here. here. That's right. I need to, I need to sign up. I'll, I'll, you come, do. I'll come tomorrow. Um, so last question, then I'll ask what I've missed, but, um, going to like women focused events is great. I love it. It's energizing. But at the same time, I feel like we don't have all the people in the room who need to be there, and that's the men. And so, like, I was at an event one year, and it was it was a women's empowerment lunch or something, and someone on stage, it may have even been a man, said, where are all the men? Well, it's a women's lunch. Well, they're not coming, right? And so I feel like there's a lot of preaching in the choir. And yes, we need to support each other and help each other grow businesses or whatever we're doing. But on the other hand, are we ignoring a whole group that really needs to be with us? Does the question make sense? Yeah. And it's been one that's very mind, like on my mind a, a lot, because there are studies that show when we segregate like this that there's a chance that there's a power vacuum Mm -hmm. Um, I look at it differently in the sense that we need women to be in power and so these are opportunities to take back that power Mm -hmm. and there's also some of those events when we're talking and we're like this is information that guys need to know too a lot of that time it's it's more you need to hire women you you need to believe in women you need to fund women that's not what we're talking about we're talking about opportunities for women Mm -hmm. and things that women need to learn and so yeah, guys can benefit from it, and there will probably be guys at our events. I mean, there have been in the past. Mm-hmm. So they're welcome to join us. But the emphasis here is for women entrepreneurs and inventors to grow. Mm-hmm. And so all of our programming is going to be geared towards things they need to know, not necessarily things guys need to hear. Mm-hmm. They'll benefit from it. But it's not targeted to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like sometimes I think that this is the case that men are more uh, they're coming around on sharing more responsibility um, at home and are, are, are becoming a little bit more understanding and a little bit more engaged um, in all the things that we are doing. Do you do you think that that's true? I haven't really read any studies on it, but it just my intuition tells me that that's happening. I think that there are certain segments of the population that feel that it's necessary and will support women in whatever capacity needs to be done. I know my husband does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here and he's home with the children. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that's a, he's always going to support these things that we do. I know the men at the firm support as well. So I, I do think it's changing. I still think that there's holdouts, that there's always going to be, hopefully not always, you should choose my words better. Um, there's sometimes going to be people that say, but don't you need to make this open for everyone? Don't men need to learn this? And I, I get that. 
But until there's actual equality, equity in women-run businesses, and we don't see that Arkansas has issues with women-run businesses, then I'm not, I, I'm unrepentant on this. Mm-hmm. Good, as am I. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't cover you want to? No, I think we're, you covered a lot. <laughs> I know we did. I could really go on a long time with all of this, but I appreciate what you're doing. Um, and this was your idea. You pitched it to the firm, right? I did. And they it seems like they just said, go, go for it. Enthusiastically go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like um, it's a, well, it's it's your employer, so I can't imagine you wouldn't say anything, but let me just say that uh as a lawyer, you know, we hear a lot about different firms, and Wright Lindsay is one that I don't hear bad stories about, about, you know, problems and sexism, although I'm sure there are pockets of it everywhere, so I, I, no one is without fault, but um, do you find that it's a good place to work in that sense, in, in the, um, you know, with all the things we've just been talking about? I do. I think mm-hmm. the firm is overly supportive of uh, Things like Woman Run, but other initiatives that uh, anyone else has wanted to put forward. I, I do feel like this is a welcoming, supportive place. And you all, get, all um, do a lot of pro bono work too, right? We do. Yeah, yeah. So that's really important. I mean, oh, there's just so many people who need help. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah, there's stuff in the works for Woman Run more pro bono. Okay, don't but, call me because I do all the pro bono. <laughs> No, it would be patent work. Oh, okay, good. good. That I need. That I need. Um, all right, well, uh, I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy, and I'm excited you're doing this. So I've, I've only been able to kind of watch on Facebook, but it's anything I can do to help, I seriously let Thank me know. Thank you. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming to visit. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs>